I'm an open book. I will literally talk to anybody about this and get real deep with people because I'm at the point where I don't care if my scars make you feel uncomfortable because you didn't go through what I went through to get to these scars. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, aren't very good at it. So, one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with survivors. I am going to keep trying. We are now more than two years in, and I want to thank all the survivors who have joined me here on this podcast, and of course, to everybody who listens. Thank you. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. We've got a few ways. Email hello at suicidenoted.com, social media, Facebook or Twitter, at suicidenoted. And if you check the show notes, you'll find a few links. One is to another way you can reach out to us via a recorded message. And the other links are ways in which you can help us out financially. And we could use a little help as we try to reach more people and help them feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. Now, we are talking about suicide on this podcast, as the title suggests. So please take that into account before or as you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Andy. Andy lives in New York City, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Angelina, hello. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm okay. I mean, I hate that fucking question, even though I ask it. Some <laughs> fucking question. I was just talking to my friends earlier, a friend earlier, like this week. I was like, a better question would be like, what'd you eat for breakfast? <laughs> I had blueberries for breakfast. Great. How are you? Leave me alone. Uh, Andelina, we're calling you Andelina. You can call me Andy. Andy, okay, Andy. Andy, I, Andy in New York. Andy is, uh, I'm guessing, this might not make the podcast, but are you you Puerto Rican, Dominican? I'm Puerto Rican. Yeah, I'm from New York and I actually taught for a couple years up in Washington Heights. Oh, cool. I know a little bit about the culture, uh, (laughs) says the white guy from Long Island. You're Andy in New York. Mm-hmm. We know the following things. We know that you have attempted suicide, however you define that, at least once. Yes. We now know that your parents or grandparents, or perhaps even you, were born in Puerto Rico. My grandparents, one parent was born here, one parent was born in Puerto Rico. We know that despite being in New York and living in New York and being a New Yorker, I presume, you are wearing a Texas Longhorn sweatshirt. Yes, I which am. Which is not what you would imagine. Now, again, if this is a college football podcast or a, we might have a longer conversation about that. Right. What part of New York are you in specifically? I'm not like the address, but the neighborhood. <laughs> I live right in Manhattan in East Harlem. A lot of people come over here and they're always like, or when I mention it, they're always like, the Cuchifrito. And I'm like, yes, the mm. our landmark here in East Harlem. Do you like living in East Harlem? Um, I do. I grew up here. Big majority of my life have mm-hmm. left the neighborhood and came back. Yeah, I really like it. It's really different now, though, from when I was growing up. You know, there I was bet. a big Italian community mm. while I was growing up. No and months. now there's like four Italian people. <laughs> like, you know them. Yeah, like they're all older, right. waiting for God to knock on their door or something. Yeah, they're not going anywhere. They're like, listen, my name is Luigi. Fuck you. I'm staying. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. Me and Dominic, I'm being a dick now. Okay. <laughs> I know those guys or those type of guys, I think. Yeah. Well, they're getting squeezed out of a lot of parts of New York. So it's probably not uncommon in other areas too. I mean, Little Italy's probably got like 11 Italians now. <laughs> yeah. Like a yeah. few more than East Harlem, but not many. You did something most people don't do. And it's not the attempt, though that is not a particularly common thing. I don't think you actually want to talk about it. Right. That is not very common. And Elena, Andy, I'm going to say Andy, people do not talk about this. You understand that, right? 
I... You're not supposed to talk about it. What are you doing talking about it? Bringing shame. <laughs> Absolutely okay. no shame, but bringing all the light into it because mm. there be some light there, you know? You, um, you want to bring light, which I appreciate. You reached out to me, which I appreciate. Why did you reach out and how did you even know to reach out to me? Well, I reached out because I came across your podcast while in the depths of one of my downfalls, one of my Mm. depression spins. I was like, I cannot be the only one. I just cannot be the only one. Although, you know, I've been to psych wars and I know that I'm not the only one. But when you're down like that, you kind of feel like you are the only one. No matter how many times people are like, no, I've been there. So I came across your podcast and I listened to a few and I was like, oh my gosh, I caught myself just listening until like, I was like, all right, well, now I don't feel the urge to like do anything insane. I was like, if, if these people that I'm listening to can make me feel better just by me listening to them, imagine how I can make someone feel, you know, I'm always down for sharing my story. I'm very open about it on my social media and so many people have told me like you know that they listen to my stories and so on and so forth and they're just like you make me feel better there's so many strangers on instagram are comfortable with telling me that they want to like jump off a roof and i'm like i have never met you and i'm so glad that you feel comfortable with me now let's talk about why you want to jump off the roof maybe you should have a podcast (laughs) Well, I'm working on being an art therapist. So here we go. You're 26. Yes. Recently. Yes. Happy yes. birthday. Thank you. I'm an Aquarius. That's Happy belated fun. Aquarius birthday. Thank you. I have no idea what that means, Aquarius, <laughs> other than it means you were born around in spring of some year. In spring. Okay. We'll, we'll just stick with that. <laughs> you were a child during 9 11. <laughs> yes, I was. Which fucks with my mind. Yo, it almost lost my sister. Almost lost mm. my sister. Yeah, always very wild. Yeah. She was like 16 at the time. Never forget. Well, I, I lost a friend down there too. It's wow. Do you remember the first time you started thinking about suicide? I do. I can't pinpoint the age, honestly. I want to say maybe like 10, 11. Mm-hmm. My grandfather had passed away and my parents, very hardworking parents, you know, also trying to figure out their own stuff, you know, because people put their parents on like this high expectation, but it's like, they're also human. So they're going through their own stuff. And my grandfather, he picked up a lot of what my parents couldn't pick up when it came to me. And I spent so much time with him. And when he passed away, my whole entire life altered. I didn't know then that it was me, you know, falling into what we call depression now. But I remember telling my parents constantly that I want to be with grandpa. That was all I used to say. I never understood it. I always used to say with like tears in my eyes or like when I would be upset, it was just very emotion filled and stuff like that. That was the first first time. And when you would say that to your parents, do you remember how your mom or your dad responded? My parents used to be like, you know, your grandfather is always with you. He's just not physically here. Although at that time, I'm an older child in terms of age. And, I, you know, certain things your parents expect you to grasp onto. I just didn't get it. It was like, why did he leave me? Why would he, why would he leave me? That was always my thing. And my parents never really sat down and was like, you're alive. He's not kind of, you kind of can't just, just go through the motion of the ocean. And then one day you'll meet him. All right. Grandfather dies and he's not okay with it. Yeah. That's Sean's one sentence summary, which no one ever (laughs) appreciates. You are, so you're a young lady and you have what you think is depression. Well, at that time, didn't know what it was. Well, yeah, right, right. You just something's wrong with Andy. Right, Andy. something's not right with Andy. Andy's not okay. Andy's crying a lot. Andy wants to be with a grandfather who's not alive. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and you're going into late elementary, middle school. Now I could be wrong here. I'm gonna throw it out there. 
Never want to make any assumptions. I am going to guess that middle school is really rocky. How good am I? How good am I, Andy? You don't do this for almost two years without knowing a thing or two. Right on the nail. Wow. What what are the lotto numbers? Right. You you take it from there and tell us sort of the story and and you know, and we're 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 leading to an attempt, you know, and we know that. Great. Yeah, we definitely are. The first attempt. Middle school here starts sixth grade. I don't know if that's like a universal thing, a national thing. And my parents put me in Catholic school in the sixth grade. I used to question a lot of things. And because I questioned a lot, like, why do we have to go to mass every Friday? Why are we praying? All th- and it's wild because I grew up Catholic. But it's like, you know, my parents never made me do all this stuff. It was just Sunday school. And I'm like, oh my gosh, every week, this is what I'm doing. So they ended up telling me that I couldn't come back to that school. Like they told my mom that they don't think that it was a good fit for me. You rebellious? I, I feel like I wasn't. I was just questioning a lot, you know. Also, it didn't help that my sister used to watch the History Channel. And, you know, they used to decode Jesus being a real human. And I used to be like, well, he was a carpenter. So, and they would be like, whoa. <laughs> Andy, you or your parents apparently did not get the memo. Number one, <laughs> don't watch the History Channel. That that's if you that's number one and number two don't question so much. Oh gosh! Why 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 would a why would a twelve year old human being question the world? Who knows? Go on. Yeah, they took me out of there, and it's like I I didn't feel comfortable in that school, but I did have one friend that I was really close with, and now we were separated. New school, having to deal with everybody, completely different. Like when I mean completely different, completely different. So now we're in the seventh grade. Public school. Um, public school now, yes. Mm-hmm. Now I, I taught in New York City for a few years. Uh, you know, I, I'm having my the image I have of your your public middle school or junior high school is probably not inaccurate. Oh, it was just wild. I was like, oh my gosh, like my parents want me to come here. So having a hard time for the billionth time making friends. So we go throughout throughout the now we're past winter break and we're in the spring session now of the school year. And I have a few friends and whatnot right before turning 13. I remember watching like you watch stuff, you see stuff as a kid and it's like this person takes prescription pills and they're no longer. And I had gotten some prescription pills. They were antibiotic. <laughs> Gotta laugh at myself because I'm like, what? They were antibiotics because I had like an infection in my gums somewhere. And I was like, well, now I get to be with grandpa. Took all the antibiotics and absolutely nothing happened. And I was like, well, the television has lied to me. (laughs) This was this was a turning point between me and my relationship with television. Right. I mean, first, first was the history channel lying to you. Now it's other stuff on the TV. Maybe you should have learned your lesson at this point. So nothing happened then. I didn't tell anybody about it because I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, my parents are going to be like, where did all the medication go? So on and so forth. So let's fast forward to April. Now I'm 13. I don't know if it's teenage hormones, me still being depressed about my grandfather or anything and everything in between. Mm -hmm. I decide that I was going to hang myself. When you take the antibiotics and nothing happens, you did want to die. I did want to die. This is a, a, a classic weird Sean question. If, if as best you can recall, if I told young Andy, I can grant you your wish of dying, but you won't be seeing your grandfather. Would you have still accepted that? Oh my gosh. I don't know. Young Andy, probably not. not now you're making me think of a later question I'm going to ask by the way you qualified that okay all right so you wanted to die and it sounds like and i'm if i'm wrong you'll tell me you wanted to be with your grandfather yes then at being 12 i wanted to be with my grandfather my second attempt which was Mm -hmm. me trying to hang myself in the bathroom Mm -hmm. um still wanted to be with my grandfather felt very misunderstood and i was getting bullied at school i was getting bullied to the point that i like 
children scare me. Like I'm scarred for life because I feel like children are evil. <laughs> Wait, you don't have to feel like it. They are evil. You're not wrong. Because when I hear the difference of I took a bunch of pills versus I got a rope, I don't know why. I don't. It may be just me. It feels a little different. The second one, the rope feels a little more. I'm not fucking around. Yeah. I think, um, too, I was kind of upset that my first attempt didn't go the way that I thought it would have gone. So I didn't get a rope. I got belt. Oh, okay. My fault. Belt. Yeah. Yep. That was my noose. <laughs> um, yeah. I hung, I was hanging myself in the bathroom. It went pretty well for a little bit, but I guess the pole, because it was the shower pole, was mm-hmm. like, I can't hold on to any of your body weight. Mm-hmm. And then it snapped on me. I was like, oh my gosh, didn't know what to do. Again, you know, didn't want to tell anybody. I had all these marks on my neck, you know, from like just the squeezing happening. And I had to cover that up. So I just stayed in my room for the longest. And this this is when I feel like this was a really big turn for me and my dynamics with school, you know, because I would always go to class. I stopped going to class. My mom had a really hard time with that. You know, of course, the school had a hard time with that. And it became a lot. And I didn't know and I didn't understand why it became so much because it's like, these are my feelings that I'm feeling. Why does everybody else have to get involved? Did you tell your parents? I ended up telling my mom. I ended up telling her she like was taking me to class one day, um, which she never did. And she went with me because I asked her. And on the way to class, I told her what happened. I'll never forget. It was raining that day. And she was like, come on, come on, come on, come on. And I had stopped walking. And I told her. And she was like, she didn't say anything. We made a U-turn. We went back home. She called her brother, who's a psychiatrist out in Texas. <laughs> mm, long arms. Okay. Yeah. Then I got admitted to the hospital for the first time. That That's the first attempt. How long? That was the second attempt. Oh, that was the second attempt. First, um, going to the hospital. <laughs> How long did you stay in the hospital? I was in the hospital for a week. They put you on some meds. Yes. Started you on some new meds. They put you in some classes, you know, like things like art or... Uh, Something like that. Mm-hmm. You, are you, this is weird. I usually ask people, but now I'm just telling you what happened. It's so <laughs> fucked up. Wait, hang on. You didn't actually meet with doctors very often. Oh. And you, the closest connections by far you made were with a few of the other patients. Yes. Now, why can I tell you that story if I don't know your story? Maybe it's it's a. A pattern. <laughs> it's a, I can't get anything by you, Andy. Now fill in the blanks. I, I was obviously being a little cheeky there, but but was that accurate? Yeah, very accurate. Um, went into the hospital. You know, I didn't know what was going on um, because I was thirteen. They put me into a children's ward, and I was the only one who was in that early teen stage. Everybody there was like either at the end of their teens or really young. So they didn't know what to do with me because they had like classes for kids that were in high school to like, you know, they missing the week, they're doing their work there. And then kids who were in middle, I mean, in elementary school. And then here's, here's Andy randomly in the middle. And they had a really hard time placing me anywhere and everywhere. So I was just kind of just floating around the ward. <laughs> I really was. <laughs> I really was, but I can um, imagine like two of the nurses quietly talking. And one of the nurse says, what are we doing with that Andy girl? She's just wandering around. And then the other one looks and says, like kind of rolls her eyes a little bit, kind of suggesting just let her go. Right. Just, just let her wander. It's really easier for everyone. If you do that, just let her go. Right. And I was, it was just really, it was a lot for me there. I feel like being there was way more scarier than any other psych ward ever been in. I'll never forget the the children's ward. And I've been in adult wards. Right. That's very telling. How can a 13-year-old going through a hard time and gets put into that place, how can that not be terrifying? 
who in the world would feel like, nah, this is great. This is where I belong. I'm very comfortable here. I like being locked up. I'm not saying I have a solution, like a better solution of who the fuck wouldn't be freaked out by that. Come on. Right. So after a week you get out, your mom gets you. Yes. And, and you're the same. Yeah, I'm the same. And even while in the hospital, I had um, met someone who ended up in there while from cutting her wrists. So now Andy has picked up wrist cutting. Andy, you know what this is called? This is called foreshadowing. We know what's gonna. All right. So you picked up a new skill, so to speak. Yes. An idea was planted. Yes, it was. And, you know, like you said, get out. My mom gets me. I got to go back to school. And while at school, I'm just made an example of, you know, they used to pull me out of class, the principal, the guidance counselor to see how I was doing. And I would always be like, like, you know, I was out of it a lot because I was on Zoloft. So I'm like, what is going on? You know, like, why, like, why do you have to come check on me two times a day? Like, I don't understand. Do you know the answer to that? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why they thought that. I mean, I'm not a public school teacher. I'm pretty sure there's some protocols, but. I don't know. I mean, part of me thinks or hopes that they just cared, but there's another part of me, the far more cynical one that thinks, don't do it on my fucking watch, Andy. Oh, for sure. Don't do it on my watch. I'm not dealing with that shit and the repercussions. So if I have to check on you four times a day, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I am pretty sure that's exactly what it is because that's the middle school that I stayed in and I graduated from. And in eighth grade, um, someone else in another class, she began cutting herself. And they told my mom that I was the reason why she began cutting herself, that I made this trend cool in school. And I was like, it's fucked up. Every time that, you know, I would be sad. Or I would go to school late. They would always want me to speak to the guidance counselor. And it would always be like, oh, maybe you need to go back into the hospital. Just for any and every little thing. Even when it was like I wasn't feeling anything. Because I feel like the Zoloft cut off a lot. I was feeling absolutely nothing. It was numb. Mm -hmm. I would be like, I'm really confused. Mm -hmm. They really started fucking with me. At one point, they tried to tell me that I was not going to be able to go on to high school and i'm like my grades are fine like i don't know what's going on my mom had to come and get involved and my mom was like do not make an example of my child right so after that everybody stopped their shit because my mom she knew um somebody who was up in the higher chairs in the school system or whatever and my mom was like if i have to start an investigation here i will that that's how a mama bear needs to be sometimes yeah. man how not to handle a child who's depressed or in crises or confused, uh, brought to you by the New York City public school system, IS, whatever it was. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Uh, I'm glad your mother helped out. I know that you graduated or finished school. Yes, I mm-hmm. did finish middle school. I remember the last thing the principal told me was, you're going to end up being a statistic. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you're probably not going to graduate from college. You'll probably end up pregnant at 16. And she was like, just don't have high hopes. Okay. Yeah. She said this to me and I'll never forget towards the ending of high school. One of the friends that I met in middle school and we stayed friends, she went away for school and she came back and she wanted to see a teacher of hers who really helped her out in the middle school. And the principal was still there. And we were must've been about 17, maybe almost 18 towards towards total end of high school. And the principal comes over to me and she was like, oh, how's it going? She's like, you're not in school, right? And I'm like, I just looked at her and I didn't answer her because I'm like, I don't have to answer you anymore. I don't have to answer to you. I am free from your school. I didn't answer her. And it was just, you know, I know it's a shit thing to say, but I always remember that what she told me and that has driven me. Mm in terms of me and my college career, because high school was shit for me too. Like I went, I went from high school to high school here in the city. And then my mom, she was just couldn't deal with the amount of, of depression that I was feeling, you know, in and out of the hospital, getting evaluated at least like every three months sitting in the Mm -hmm. ER. She was like, this is too much for me and sent me over to my dad who lives in Jersey. Mm -hmm. Now growing up, my dad was always the weekend parent. And then here he is being the full-time parent. 
everything was really weird. Everything was really weird. And a lot of that changed for me. I felt like my mom had pushed me out. And now that I'm older, I know it's a lot that had to do with like fear of abandonment. I picked up substance abuse problems while being with my dad. How old were you? 15, 16. Oh, so this is this is the time period where after that principal said those kind, lovely words to you, which by the way, were not probably said to uh, motivate you. She was just being <laughs> an asshole Great. and it's in the wrong job. And it might even be a criminal for her words. And I'm, I'm, fair, I'm totally fine saying that. Not a criminal, but fuck her. You're popping around high school to high school and then you're going from New York to New Jersey. All the while, you're just battling these, for lack of better word, demons or stuff. What drug do you start using? So Percocets were my choice of drug. My mom, she had gotten them because my mom has lupus going into the hospital and her, the paint that she felt and so on and so forth. That was it. But she never took it. She was always like a Tylenol lady. She still is. Motrin's her thing. (laughs) And then while being over with my dad, the woman that he was with at the time, she had like a bar, had a whole bar in the living room when she moved in with us. And that's when I started to dabble into with alcohol. Like she literally had a bar? Literally. Yeah. Well, she moved in with us and my dad had like set it all up for her. You know, I get, you know, love makes you do things. Now that I know this, it does. (laughs) it makes you set up bars in your house so but yeah she had that whole setup and but she never really touched it I don't know if it was for show I have no idea she's a very different woman so yeah that's when I picked up drinking alcohol rum so some rum some Percocet you're bouncing around you're in high school in New York so you're kind of going reverse commuting so to speak oh no I'm still now everything of me is in Jersey oh you go to a Jersey school Going to a Jersey school, that is the life that I'm living. I absolutely did not like it. You know, grew up in an apartment, have a very much so like city mindset, you know, public transportation, even though everybody's like, oh, MTA, imagine waiting 45 minutes for a bus. (laughs) Like, I was like, oh my gosh. My dad used to wake me up in the morning, like, you're going to miss the bus. And I'm like, that's right. I got to wake up early just for the bus. (laughs) Was your dad kind of a cool parent, a good parent? Uh... Yeah, definitely. He's My parents are really cool. I really I appreciate them so much more now that I'm older. I don't know if that's everybody across the board, but I guess now that I'm older and I can understand some of their struggles while also having a kid, that's a lot. Yeah. But yeah, while out there with my dad, I was really sad, um, hurting myself every night, cutting myself, couldn't really sleep. So I would always have a little mixture of things, whether it was like Benadryl, because my dad didn't have Percocets, but he had Benadryls and some alcohol and stuff, just stuff like that. And while being with him, I never went into the hospital. And they're none the wiser that Andy is, is, is dabbling in drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My dad never, I feel like he still has a hard time like grasping all of this, which on many levels I can understand, you know, your child's a piece of you and you're like, whoa, you know, and every time I end up in the hospital, he would always ask me like, what did I do wrong? Mm. And I'm like, this is a lot for my parents too. I can only imagine. So being there with my dad just didn't work out. And so they sent me to go live with my sister down in Long Branch, New Jersey real suburby. And while being with her and her husband at the time, I didn't have access to any pills, any alcohol, nothing to cut myself with. We lived in a studio apartment. So my sister was on my ass. The only time that she wasn't on my ass is when I was taking a shower. So I tried to drown myself in her bathtub. Attempt number three. At this point, I feel like it's attempt number 500 or something, something. Yeah. I'm not going to ask details of how somebody does something because that's almost like all right we don't have to get we can tell we can talk about a method but we don't have to get into the details but i don't even know how somebody would try to drown themselves because your body would just react and you'd want air oh yeah that's exactly what happens just like the belt thing sometimes i feel like this is like the funny <laughs> sometimes i feel like a roach you know you try to kill it and you're like didn't i just slap you didn't i just slap you how are you still running <laughs> Right. And just to go back for a second, and I want to ask more about this attempt, but with the belt and now that the bathtub, 
you know how people talk about like, I didn't want to die, but I wanted the pain to go away. Right. So mm-hmm. kind of didn't want to die, but didn't really want to live or at least not live this way. Where were you with those? Where were you on that sort of spectrum for lack of well, a better word? With that, then definitely wanted to die. Mm. Definitely for sure. I remember sitting in my dad's house when I used to live with him and I would tell myself that I wouldn't let myself see past 18. So you can imagine the waterworks that I had when I was 18, (laughs) when I turned 18 and I turned 19, every birthday that I've had after 18, I ball my eyes out because I remember sitting there like, no, no, you're not going to make it. You're not going to do it. I'm not going to let you. And it's like, that shit is hardcore when you have those thoughts in your head. And it's just like, you're convincing yourself that this is what's going to happen. And that's, that's something that you have to stick to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you kind of break the patterns in certain ways. It's like, wow. Do you think a couple of questions? Do you think that if your grandfather hadn't died, none of this would have happened? It would have been a very different story. I'll be honest. I don't know. I have no idea. You know, um, maybe I wouldn't have attempted while I was 12, maybe 13. But now as an adult, you know, in the email that I sent you, I I attempted in January. Right. So the second part of that question was, and this is purely speculative, of course, do you think you are and perhaps other people, regardless of your environment and how you were raised and where you were raised and who your parents were, and this was just going to happen? Like, like, no matter what happened, you were going to try to end your life. You think that's for some people applicable? I don't know. I can't say regardless of my environment, because I feel mm-hmm. like with me, there's only but so much we can touch on here, <laughs> you know? That's right. Sure, sure, sure. Um, with me, I can definitely say I am a product of my environment. The chemical standing in my brain is a product of my environment. It's absolutely wild. I, you know, I'll be honest. I was diagnosed, so already diagnosed with bipolar uh, two. I got diagnosed with bipolar two when I was twenty-one, and that was my last. What I feel like is major attempt. That was the last attempt that was like I want to die. My attempts after have been like I don't want to deal with this pain right now. This is too much. Just like please, somebody else take it. But when I was twenty-one, I had taken over seventy-two plus pills and downed it with rum. That's when they diagnosed me with uh, bipolar 2. And that that's what I've been sticking with, different doctors, different pills, and so on and so forth. And then recently, January had that attempt. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I have a lot more fear of abandonment. It is insane how much more aware that I've become. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I'm literally having a meltdown mm-hmm. because I'm thinking somebody's not answering the phone because they don't want to talk to me because there's something that I did because like, you know, they're never going to talk to me again. And I'm like, this is, it's really insane. And then when I got diagnosed with borderline personality disorder in February, and you know, the psychiatrist was like, you know, a lot of this stuff is seen because of stuff that happens while growing up, trauma while growing up and so on and so forth. And I'm like, what the fuck? What the fuck? (laughs) I was so upset, Sean. Yo, I was so upset. After that hour with the psychiatrist, I spoke with my mom. I was like, oh, okay. So you and dad fucked me up so bad that I have to be sedated to go to sleep now. Because I wasn't sleeping. I don't fucking sleep without my pills. I do not sleep. So I'm like, I cannot stand the both of you. I know the both of you tried, but you could have tried harder. You know, that's when I, the child in me was like really upset. She was just Mm -hmm. like, Fuck you and fuck you. And then you two over there, fuck you. I was so upset at my parents. For and those of you of- that don't know, Andy's from New York. <laughs> <laughs> we, I want to go back yeah. on a few things and then come back to closer to present day. Your third attempt with your sister in the bathtub, about how old were you? I must have been about 17. From 17 to when you tried and you said your last major attempt in which you really wanted to die, I think you had been diagnosed with bipolar two. Two questions. Other attempts in that time? No, because I was like really into drugs at that point. Did you change your choice of drug? Um, no, Percocets did my thing, but then I got introduced to like marijuana and I was smoking so much. 
so much. Oh my gosh. I don't even, and now like I try, I can take a hit and I'm like, well, I'm done. <laughs> right. In that time, are you, did you finish high school and then did you work, go to college, do something else? Yeah. In that time. So I moved back to New York city after being in Jersey and like, I cannot stand Jersey. I moved back to New York city, stayed with my godparents and my god sister. Mm-hmm. And then my mom finally let off her grip and let me move back home. But the agreement was no more cutting. And I had to leave the Percocets alone. And it's like, what? Cold turkey. I can't do that. I did try, but couldn't do it. Because Jersey doesn't have regents and New York City does. I don't know if it's the state, but they don't have mm-hmm. regents over there. They told me that I had to restart my whole high school thing. And here I am literally in my senior year. I was like, fuck that. I told my mom, my mom and I, I felt like I was going against my whole entire family because my mom's side of the family is nothing but teachers and doctors. And everybody was like, you got to finish high school. And I was like, fuck no, I'm the fuck that. So I found out that you can go to college with your GED. I found a really good GED program, amazing program. Oh my gosh, I got my GED. And they also gave us a college class for free. So when I was actually going into CUNY, I already had three credits. My friends were still like in their last semester. So like from January to June of high school. And here I was already like, I could be in college. But I wanted to start with my friends because I just wanted to feel normal. (laughs) You went to what school did you go to? I went to LaGuardia in uh, Long Island City. Mm -hmm. I did that, but still really struggling with my depression and stuff like that the advisor there was like maybe you shouldn't come to school now because it's like I went in everything was well and then after that first semester my GPA looked horrible oh my god (laughs) so bad I lost financial aid and everything in one semester I was like this is really bad so I decided to not go back. And plus, I feel like I couldn't find where I fit in academically. Uh But I ended up going back because I met this amazing professor who was a friend personally. And she was like, oh, no, we're going to bring you back. You're going to take one of my classes. And when I had gone back to school, I was actually an environmental science major. But I got tired of hearing the word word lipid. I got really tired. I was like, I can't listen. I can't hear that word ever again. Yeah. That's when I changed my major over to art. And that was the best thing that's happened to me. Art. So wait, you didn't, they don't talk about lipids in art. (laughs) No, they don't talk about plant wax, plant fat in art. So I don't know your beliefs on with God and religion these days. You know, some people say hell is can happen right here on earth, right? It's not necessarily after you die. So for you, I would imagine hell would include Someone repeating that word over and over again, nonstop, oh, lipid, lipid, yeah. lipid. lipid. Yeah. It's it's so bad. It's like, oh my God. You got into <laughs> fine art, fine art or art therapy or art something else? I got into fine arts. And like I said, it was the best thing that happened to me because then I graduated from LaGuardia with my associates and I was like, oh my gosh, look, first degree down. And now I'm currently going to another school. I'm working on my BA. Now I'm doing ceramics. Yeah, it's really fun, super messy. I really do enjoy it. Finally, finally, school is not something that is difficult for me. And it makes me so happy. You know, I'm a lot more open with my professors about my mental health. Um, This is the first year that I've decided to um, get into the student disability thing because my sedative medication, I just, I wake up in the twilight zone. I really do. So sometimes I can really fuck with me getting to class on time or turning in my classwork. And my professors have been really awesome about it. But I'm like, you know, like I said, last attempt was in January. When you get diagnosed with bipolar 2, you have that final attempt, not your final attempt, but the one in which you said, quote, I really, really wanted to check out. That was with pills, I believe. Yes. And then at some point after that, in your early 20s, you also get diagnosed with borderline in february i got uh, diagnosed with borderline more recently so at, so in during this time early 20s you're going to school i'm just curious outside of school what is your life like do you date 
Do you have a hobby? Like, are you just struggling to just get through school and then you go home and sleep, play with your dog, you know? Well, it was a lot of that, um, me going home and being there with my dog. I did really, really try to enjoy my early 20s as much as I could. I would mm-hmm. used to go out like at least three, maybe four times a week. I don't know how I did it. I really don't know how I would go out and then make it to class. And I'm like, whoa, I had a really close friend at the time. Him and I were inseparable. Mm-hmm. We would always do everything together. Everything, everything, everything. And we date. Like I tried to date. I had my first boyfriend, late teens, early 20s. I was just like, mm, I'm not really here for it. My second boyfriend in my early 20s, um, he was in the military, so he wasn't really there, which was mm-hmm. fine with me. Like, I don't like, I was like, that's fine. You know, I really didn't, it, that didn't bother me, but no, I wasn't really like down for dating. In many cases, I am really much about me. Like I have my own world going on, my own ecosystem. And then if mm-hmm. you throw something else into the ecosystem, it fucks it all up. Right. I get that. Yep. What happens between, so I'm trying to get clear on what happens between early 20s attempt to earlier this year attempt there was a lot of other um attempts like the one in january was very much so like i don't want to deal with this right now i just can't this is an overload of emotions there was a lot of that i did this is why that's why i'm like uh, dating even though i have a boyfriend now <laughs> i'm like uh, i was seeing someone then that was a lot for me too Mm-hmm. That person that I said that was my friend, that we were inseparable, them and I stopped being friends. The pandemic lockdown also happened, and that forced me to get a lot more comfortable with being by myself. And that shit, I'm, I know it like messed up everybody, but like I now catch myself going to the park to feed the birds. And I'm like, yeah, I got to go feed my friends. I refer to the birds as my friends now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks to the COVID lockdown, birds are my friends. They are your friends. They are your friends. But a lot of that happens. And I also, we moved, we're still in East Harlem, but we moved out of my childhood home into a different apartment. It's very different. Life is very different. Even in the last year, if I think about it from when we moved in, because we moved in last January, not this past January, but January before that. Life is completely different, Sean, completely different. I'm really happy that I got diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Not to be like, woohoo, yeah, you know, but it's it's comforting to me to like have a name to it and understand yeah. things behind it. Because I wouldn't even under, I would always like, you know, I'm in bipolar and mood disorder uh, groups. Even on Twitter, there's this big, you go hashtag bipolar club. Mm-hmm. Everybody there has bipolar one, bipolar two, and all these other things that fall underneath a mood disorder. You know, I would still feel like, how come every three months with me, I go off my rails, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I'm always, you know, sitting with a bottle of pills, crying, like feeling conflicted. And then to know that one of the symptoms of borderline personality disorder is like a constant wanting to kill yourself. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this makes me feel better to know that there's a word that goes with this, that it's not just. Sure. Andy and her bullshit, as some people yeah. call it. Andy and her bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so you think that you do have bipolar two and borderline? Yes, I definitely do, for sure. I have been diagnosed with so many different things. The bipolar two, I was just, you know, I felt connected, but not as connected. The borderline personality, I felt a lot more connected. It is different. It is very difficult. When people used to tell me when I was younger, oh, it gets easier. I feel like it doesn't get easier. Mm. You kind of just learn to manage. Who says that? Right. There's so many people have told me that when I was younger. Oh, it gets easier. You're going to get older and it's going to get easier and blah, blah, blah. That's not now that I'm older and I've been dealing with this shit for like 14 years. It doesn't get easier. You learn to manage just like people who live in Florida and they're like, oh, well, it's hurricane season. Let's stop like exactly like that. You know, they stay in Florida. It doesn't get easier for them. You know, hurricanes don't get easier, but they learn to manage. Interesting connection. Yes. I like that analogy. January of 2022, you tried. Did you go to the hospital? I did not go to the hospital. And you're living by yourself now or with your mom? I am living with my mom and the ferrets and a snail. Different podcast. (laughs) 
Did your mom find out about this past uh, January attempt? Yes. All right. So she's kind of in the loop. Yes. She majorly in the loop. Majorly. I keep her in the loop. Her more than anybody else, honestly. Our relationship has gotten so much better. Her understanding of my mental health has gotten so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in the loop with everything. She always asks me whenever I'm feeling, or even if like, you know, I take too many pills, she's like, do you think you need to go to the hospital? It's a good question. And there have been times where I'm like, yeah, let's go. And I go get evaluated. Even the doctors themselves, they're like, no, she doesn't really need to be here. And I'm like, okay, I guess. Right. Whatever you yeah. got your PhD from, they're just handing it out, I guess. Now that's my mom's thing. And she's really supportive. It's really, really wild to me that like, you know, when they first diagnosed me when I was like 13 with depression and anxiety, you know, she had a really hard time with that. And now it's so much better. I can talk to her and I can be very real with her. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. hide anything from her. It's really comforting for me. I know it's a lot for her because she's one person with her own life and two kids, you know, even though my sister and I are all 25 plus. I can, I can imagine it's a lot for her. And she deals with a lot of my stuff with me. And I'm really mm. appreciative because I know not, not a lot of people have a parent who's like that. I'm always so thankful, so very thankful, you know, that she's just front and center for it, for all of it. Even with the, the boyfriend that I'm with now, you know, he has a hard time with my mental health. And my mom's like, whenever Andy is freaking out, Call me first. Call me first before you call 911. It's really great. It makes me really happy because I feel like a lot of times, even while, even while growing up, her first thing was like, okay, we're going to go to the hospital. We're going to go to the hospital. And now it's like, do you feel like you need to go to the hospital? Mm-hmm. What are your feelings? And mm-hmm. that's more comforting than being like, you have to go. Like, you're going to go. Of course. Yeah. Like, like you mentioned, a lot of the stuff is... You know, it could be I really want to die or I'm just dealing with a lot of emotions and I don't know how to sort that out. And going to the hospital does really not much of anything for people who are like, I'm dealing with a lot of emotions and I want to sort that out. Because what you get, the you get medicated for a week, seen by a psychiatrist once a week along with the therapist, and then they send you home with pills and then you have to manage yourself. Don't get me started on the hospital thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What an interesting name for something, borderline personality, borderline. Who did, who, who comes up with these names? Borderline personality. Where's the line? What line? What's the line or border? Yeah. It's like, what is the line? Yeah. But I kind of, I think maybe it should be called on edge (laughs) something because that's exactly how I feel when things get really intense for me. Everything is on edge for me. Everything. Mm -hmm. This is another reason why I try to stay away from relationships again, although I have a boyfriend now. These relationships get really intense. They get really intense. There's a lot of love bombing going on. And then after all that love bombing, there becomes a lot of resentment and then a lot of those types of patterns. Mm-hmm. And But one thing I've learned is to try to be as open as possible, communicate your needs, your wants, and your boundaries. And that is definitely my thing. You know, I know my boyfriend, sometimes he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, <laughs> that's it. So this stuff has taken a toll on so many different things in my life, you know, and mm. it's just, I don't know. I'm always so amazed. Sometimes, like I say, every birthday, I'm like, holy fuck, I'm still here. 26 Aquarius. 26 Aquarius. <laughs> you, it sounds like you could have quite easily not been here. Quite very, very easily. The last, you know, when I was 21, that big attempt, they really did almost lose me. They almost lost me. Um, I became toxic, all of that stuff. And I was in the ER for some time and I didn't even realize that I was in the ER for some time. And, you know, because usually it's like ER, psych ward. But no, I was in the ER for. You, the, the pills you took were almost, it almost worked and that was, they almost killed you. Yeah, they definitely did those pills. If my mom would have came home a little later, because she was the one that found me, you know, I was on the couch, all like drooling out. My mm. dog, he was really alert about it. He was barking really loud. Mm. He was so sweet. He is like, I love him wherever, wherever you are in the universe. I love you. Um, but he was very attentive and alert with that. He, you know, my dad had gotten him for me after um, me going to the hospital the first time. So he was with me through all of that. 
You know what's interesting? I, I, there's so many people I'm never going to talk to because they died. Yeah. And the difference sometimes between dying and not dying is not much. And it is not uncommon for people to share with me this, you know, I had taken the pills or I had gotten the belt or whatever, and somebody came home or somebody called. And I'm starting to think, is that one of the differences? And it might be just luck or chance or however you want to frame that. Some of the reasons, one of the reasons why some people make it is simply because someone found them in time. Yeah. As you sit here today with me, if you were having a on edge slash borderline slash whatever else episode, right? Where you couldn't manage your emotions. Could we be having this conversation right now? Oh, absolutely not. That's why it took so long for us to get here. Okay. Because you've been exceptionally calm and poised and well-spoken. As you sit here, having just turned 26, do you look back on those attempts and ever think, I wish I would have died? Yeah. Many times I get upset at my mom and I'm like, why did you save me? Why did you save me? And her answer is always, you know, you're my daughter. I may not understand it completely now because I'm not a mother to anything that came out of me. I could only imagine what it's like to be my mom, that type of mom. And then, you know, your kid wanting to like leave and you being like, whoa, like you can't, you're, you're my kid. Where are you going? But here I am. Here you are. You're, you're in college. You've got a boyfriend. You're living uh, in a new apartment, somewhat new. What are we doing here? Are we going to make it to 27, 28? Uh, if I have like an update show where I invite guests back a year after they talk with me, which is something I'd like to do. And I email you in a year or so, will you be replying to that email? Or if you don't, well, you don't have to reply, but will the reason be that you're not alive? Who knows? I'll be honest. I hope, hopefully I'll be able to reply. Me right now, who's like taking my medication and I'm feeling all right-ish. Yeah. I'm hoping I'll be able to reply, but you know, you ask me that question while mm. I'm on edge with my emotions, I'll be like, absolutely not, Sean. I will send an automatic <laughs> reply for <laughs> this time next year. It's interesting though, you know now in the state you're in in this moment that that's a thing, that when you get into that other state, no, everything's different. You're aware of that. Yeah, definitely am. That's why it's like, Again, I really have a hard time with like meeting new people and stuff like that because it's like you're bringing something new into the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I know my patterns. I'm aware of them. I try my best to be like, if this didn't work for me before, what can I do differently? You know, I mm-hmm. always try to think of things as a wall that you have to either get over, go around or get through. And if you keep on hitting yourself against the wall and that didn't work, take a step back. How else can you get to the other side of this wall? Can you mm. walk around the wall? Can you go to the left or the right? You know, can you dig a hole underneath? Can you find some random Spider-Man strength <laughs> and climb the wall? How can we get over the wall? That's always my thing. I'm really trying because I want to be somebody who, again, I say this now, not on edge, who wants to make it. I really want to make it. There's so many people who don't make it. Mm-hmm. Or there's so many people who make it later on in life, but don't get to, they don't finish their lives. Like my mom had a friend, he offed himself. He jumped mm-hmm. off of his roof at the age of 50. And it's like, I don't want to feel like this forever. I really just want to be chill. You know, when I'm on edge, it's like, why are all my emotions boiling? It just feels like there's too many things on my stove and everything's on high heat. And it's like, I want to turn it off and throw everything away, but it's like, everything's so hot and it's just, too much for me that I end up just leaving it there and hoping that nothing burns. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's generational curses that I would like to break that I don't want to continue. I'm just really trying. I know a lot of people, they see me and I, they've known me for so long. And so many people are like, well, you know, why don't you, you should try harder. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know how much harder you want me to try. Right. <laughs> trying my fucking hardest right. to just sure. make it. And I wonder if people could experience what it's like to be you for a day, especially when it's a tough day and you're going through your stuff. I bet they'd be like, holy shit. I had no idea. Sean, they would not. They could not. You know, I could. I won't, don't really want to say that, but I guess I always think about it. I do. Like my boyfriend, I feel like he needs to get evaluated. And I watch him because like he has a hard time communicating and he has his own business. So when he has to deal with customers and things aren't going across a certain way and he's really overwhelmed, he'll be like, I just want to kill myself. And I'm like, 
and you seem really calm. Imagine if you're like, for me to want to get there of me not like wanting to off myself or, you know, I'm like pasting the apartment. I've already gone for walks at like three o'clock in the morning. And here he is, super calm demeanor. And he's just like, I just want to off myself. And I'm like, imagine feeling everything all at once on such an intense level as I do. I mean, I don't know what he's feeling because I'm not him. So I'll never understand 100%. But it's just like, you could not, you could not survive in the wild. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, I like that. The wild, the wild. So a couple more questions and then I'm done. And you can add, of course, anything else you'd like. How many people in the world do you have that you can talk to about this stuff? Like really speak, honestly, now that I'm older, I will literally talk to anybody about this and get real deep with people because I'm at the point where I don't care if my scars make you feel uncomfortable because you didn't go through what I went through to get to these scars. But in terms of like tight knit, my, my mom really... Because there's things that I can't even talk to my boyfriend about, my dad, nor my sister. I want to be the most authentic self version of me, shall I say, that I can be. But it gets really difficult when people are like shutting you down while you're trying to be authentic. And they're like, well, no, there's something absolutely wrong with you. And I don't want to deal with that. I should have been clear with that question. And I should in general, when I say you have people to talk to, it goes both ways. People who want to talk about it and can talk about it and you feel comfortable talking about it. That's part of it. So your mom, my mom, <laughs> I had a conversation with someone. It was, I think yesterday and you know, he had like one or maybe two people, but he also said, you know, sure. I'd love more, but I mean, I kind of, it's all I need at least for him. I, 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 I think for sure. There's a lot of reasons why people attempt to take their own lives. I've said this for a long time. It'll never be something I think that's provable. I think having one or two people that you really genuinely feel comfortable talking to is the difference maybe more than anything else. And the weird thing is that's something people can actually help other people with. If you're hearing this right now, like you could potentially be the person that is sitting with somebody and be their person, be their one or two. You now I don't know for sure. It's not always easy. It's a skill set. Definitely is. But they're like there's something that you could actually maybe do that. Whereas other things that are out of your control. So I'm like, huh, if we want to talk about suicide prevention, which I use that word it's not really the goal of this main goal of this podcast. It isn't. But if you really want to do prevention, learn how to be like your mom. Yeah. yeah. That's Sean's little soapbox moment. Are yeah. there any myths that haven't come up that you want to dispel or call bullshit on around any of this stuff? Besides the fact that if anybody tells you it gets better, it does not. You just learn to manage. <laughs> That's a myth. Because that is a big myth. I'm not, they had like a really big campaign, like has celebrities do like these little whatever type of commercials where it was like, it gets better. <laughs> and I'm like, how much money are you making to lie to me? Like, oh, there's so much money into lying. Oh my gosh, I should be a politician. This is great. Yeah, it's more than politics. That's just basic <laughs> capitalism, advertising, branding. I have no idea, by the way, what those particular people's lives are like. But I will add this. It's a little bit easier for things to get better when you're rich. Shit opens up. Certain doctors are available. You can go to Palm Springs for two weeks and unwind. You can get a massage every day. It adds up. So, okay, sure. We get it. We know. But Andy is not, you're not, you're not believing it. I have, those words have never come out of my mouth to somebody who has been speaking to me about whatever it is that they're feeling. I'll be like, you learn to manage it. You really do. I have a lot of strong, I have a lot of strong feelings about some of these kinds of things. People say that's one of them because, you know, I would imagine, especially if you're talking to someone younger, those might be comforting words and maybe even true words. A lot of people go through things and it does get better. Not everybody's in crises or major depression forever. It's true. It's not so much that it's not accurate. And I don't think it is accurate. It's, it's more for me, like, like, is that the best that you could do in this moment? Like there's so many other things that are not like either more helpful or more useful, or just more interesting. <laughs> That's what you've got. Raise your hands if you'd rather this person say nothing than that. Both of my hands are up. Now, you might be much more flexible than I am or more forgiving. If somebody says that to me, I will never talk to them about anything that matters again. No, 
exactly. No, I am never. Because then, what are you going to do? What platitude are you going to offer me next time? Yeah, it it really does suck. Yeah, I know. At least with me, when I'm like on edge, I'm looking for certain words. I don't know what words I'm looking to hear, but I'm looking for certain words. And you know, when I speak to someone about it, they're like, "It gets better." I'm just like, "Okay, well, the conversation is going to end here," and I just be like, "Yeah." And that's it. <laughs> that is it. I don't want to talk to you about these things. End it. Yep. Conversation's over. You just killed it. Now I have a problem and I'm trying to get better about this. I want to be more like you, the way you just did it, where you're like, okay, well, great. You know, bye, whatever. You ended it kind of nicely. And I, it doesn't happen a lot. It doesn't come up a lot, but when it does, I'm like, yeah, this conversation's over. I say it like that. And it's not nice. I make it very clear that I think you're kind of an asshole for saying that. I wish I were different. I'm working on it. So frustrating. It doesn't matter how you let it roll off of your shoulders. They're just, there's some people that they just don't. Because no matter how kind I have tried to be about like, okay, well, we're not talking about this anymore. Mm -hmm. So many times people have been like, well, you don't have to be such a bitch about it. And I'm like. I love it. Wait, can we just pause that for a moment? Who's the bitch here? Me. Who's the asshole here? Wait a second. Apparently it's me. So not this person that has absolutely nothing good to say. Right. Me. Ooh, right. Wow. I'm a bitch or an asshole or whatever. If I don't just smile and thank you for sharing your words of wisdom. But that, you know, like if I hit you in the face <laughs> and you were like, don't fucking hit me. You're not, I don't really think you're a bitch for that. Exactly. Now, is that a fair analogy? Maybe not, but. You're, respo- you're responding to someone who's not treating you kindly. I think maybe people just really have a hard time with like being like, wow, maybe I'm actually dumb, you know, because I feel like certain things that are said are just really dumb. And it's like, mm-hmm. why would you say that? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you even? I know that's mostly a rhetorical question and there's a lot of answers, but I do have a couple. One, I don't necessarily think they're dumb, although they might be. I I think one of the reasons actually is nobody teaches them. Very few people are getting, quote, educated formally or informally on ways to engage with people. We're really not. Did you learn this in your fucking high school in New Jersey? Definitely not. So where are people learning it? Some people just seem to get it. They just do it. And who knows how that is? I think some people go through shit and it changes them and they, they're like, wow, okay, I get what you're going through. I'm going to maybe approach this conversation differently. Who the, where do we learn it? I feel like too, you have to teach yourself. And there's so many things that I've learned with myself, just by myself. You know, I'm not saying like I thought about it in my brain, but I picked up a book <laughs> and I've read articles, listened to a podcast or watched a video on it gain some knowledge you know i i mean but that's just me i'm not the type of person i don't like to wait for people to give knowledge to give anything to me it's like okay i asked you once you're not teaching me i didn't gain anything from this now i have to go find it myself yeah i mean a lot of people aren't going to necessarily go teach themselves this stuff especially this stuff right they'd rather learn how to do other things than this and also by the way they don't think they have a problem there ain't nothing to fix there ain't nothing to improve upon Stop. Those are my favorite people. The people who think that there's nothing wrong. <laughs> Those are my favorite people. I'm like, the quote, ignorance is bliss is you. You are that. That is you. You are that. And I'm here for it. And, and I envy those types of people because it's like you literally, it's just you and your world. And there's nothing wrong with you, huh? I love I would, I, Those are the people I don't talk to. <laughs> nope. Like, how did you get there? Like, there's no type of self-awareness at all. Nothing. Zero. Even when you call the, like, the suicide hotline. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Yep. Yep. Oh, my God. I'm like, who and why? Just what is it? Seriously. why, Why did I call you? Now I'm, like, stuck on the phone with you because if I hang up calling you from my number in the cell phone towers, you could magically like send people to come look for me. And it's like, now I have to be on the phone with you and you have to hear me say, yeah, I feel better. You know how many times I have lied to just like get off of the fucking phone with them? Because I'm like, what are you saying? What are you actually saying? Because what you're saying is confusing me. It is just insane. Some people just 
get it and some people don't. Some people understand yeah. it and some people don't. But I always I always try to remind myself that even if somebody understands, nobody's gonna understand hundred percent. Nobody. Nobody one hundred percent is gonna understand because nobody is, you know, nobody's Andy, yeah. 26 and Aquarius, living in East Harlem in a Longhorns sweater, <laughs> experiencing <laughs> bipolar or borderline personality disorder. And that stuff makes me, you know, it can make things really difficult because I know so many times just people are like, nobody understands and nobody gets it. Nobody's really going to ever understand and really get it 100%. Somebody might get there to 98%, 99.9 even, but that 100% is never going to be met. That's that's the little, a little whiff of me in my story. Right. It'll be good. People will hear it. And like you said earlier, you got something out of it. Maybe someone will get something out of yours, and I'm sure they will. I was tempted to ask you where or how the Andy story ends, but you kind of answered it. We know. You don't know. You're going to try the do. You're going to try. We know that. You may make it. You may break down the wall or go around the wall or find a way to get over the wall. You may not. Yep. And we have to be okay with that. We do. I know I am, and that's totally okay with me. We'll see. Hopefully, like you, like you said, if you, I'm here again, and I'm able to tell you that I don't know, that I've hit the lotto, <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah, and now I'm just here with my lotto money and my ferrets. <laughs> Let me know when you and Lotto if that actually changes anything yeah. or helps. Could you imagine? I'm pre- I'm pretty sure it will not change anything at all. Well, yeah, but like we said earlier, some money can help ease the pain. For sure. Definitely. Does it change the big? Big stuff in your life? Probably not, but you know, we do what we can do. We do what we can do. Andy, thank you very much for talking. I'm glad you reached out. I'm glad. Uh, thank you for answering me. <laughs> of course, man. Uh, and I'm so, you know, hey, I mean, especially what you've gone through, and particularly in the beginning of the year, it's cool that we talk. This was so great. Thank you so much, Sean. You stay safe <laughs> and stay cool. Not so sticky in the human. <laughs> I'm going to stay cool. Be well. Thanks again for uh, talking with me, Andy. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support and special thanks to Andy up in New York City. Thank you, Andy. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. Check the show notes for a link where you can leave us a recorded message as well as a couple of links that will let you make a financial contribution. We are trying to grow this podcast, reach more people so they can hear these stories and perhaps feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. That is all for episode number 121. Stay strong, do the best you can. I will talk to you soon.